Hello, Redemption Tucson. My name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at, uh, at, our, at our congregation. And again, I just want to say thank you so much to Torrance um, Wade and for Chris Fu for putting that, that great video together. And hopefully our hearts are prepared and um, we're in a good place to get into God's word, to get back into Psalm um, 23 together this morning. Um, I do want to let you know if you're new or you haven't ever heard me preach before that I do have a stutter and it'll kind of come in and out as I, as I preach. So I want to make sure that you know what, um, what that is. And then also before we get into our time, I just want to kind of pause and say something in regard to, um, obviously we had a panel last Sunday and, and I want to again, just thank everyone who was on that panel and was, was honest and vulnerable and, um, just shared some insights and some, and some, and just, a lot of work went into um, sharing those things, so so thank you for that. And then also, um, an email was uh, sent out in follow up and response. and And I just want to acknowledge: I know that probably everyone in our church, this has just been a season of um, of kind of grinding. I don't know is a word that comes to mind, even on a personal heart level, walking through a number of different things, having perhaps some hard conversations that, um, at least in my experience, have all been incredibly shaping and even fruitful and, um, and helpful. And, uh, and, and my hope and, and encouragement is that we'll continue in that. And I do want to let you know on behalf of myself and the other elders that we're um, doing some work to really um, kind of put forward some what now, some kind of next steps, some different opportunities to continue to press into the gospel of Jesus, to gather around different groups, different contexts, to walk through these things together. And Mostly, I want to say this and encourage this is this whole COVID season and specifically this last week or so um, has really just reminded me how much we need each other, how much we need community, how much we need to be able to interact together, to do the one another's as they're referred to, to, to walk alongside each other, to love one another, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to exhort one another, but we need to be together. And I long for that. I encourage you to join me in just praying that God will, um, you know, hurry the day where we can come back together. Um, amen. All right. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray together now as we get into our time in Psalm 23. This morning, we'll specifically be in verse 4. So let me pray for us together. Heavenly Father, we need you. We are your children. Lord, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. For those of us who have um, been adopted into relationship with you through Jesus, the, 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 the firstborn among many who is, who is given us the, the status of children with you and then the status and relationship of brother and sister with each other. And we continue to pray that, Lord, that we will be a reconciled people, a holy people, a set apart people, Lord, good news to the world around us on display as our love for one another is shown. And so, Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will continue to guide us and to direct us and to shape us as your people, Lord, as your family. And now as we get into your word this morning in Psalm 23, I pray that again, by your Holy Spirit, you will open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, Lord. You will minister to us as we consider what it looks like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. 
We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, this passage that we're in this morning in Psalm 23, verse 4, I will just read that one verse again. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So there's this very helpful book that actually Peter and Ashley Reynolds um, introduced me to that's um, by a guy named Philip Keller, who was raised in North Africa as a shepherd, as a young shepherd boy, um, his whole life was um, using a lot of the similar language that we're walking through right now through this time in Psalm 23. And it's a really helpful book. And this, um, if you're able, I even encourage you to like close your eyes. If you have like a two-year-old that might stick their finger in a light socket or something like that, or break the family, you know, China, don't, don't close your eyes. But if you can um, go there with me to try to enliven our imaginations to what's surrounding this reality in Psalm 23, this good news that we're reading. So here's what Philip Keller says. Most of the efficient sheepmen endeavor to take their flocks into distant summer ranges during summer. By late summer, they are well up on the remote alpine meadows above timberline. With the approach of autumn, early snow settles on the highest ridges, relentlessly forcing the flock to withdraw back down to lower elevations. Finally, toward the end of the year, as fall passes, the sheep are driven home to the ranch headquarters where they will spend the winter. It is this segment of the yearly operations that is described in the last half of the poem. So verses four through six. During this time, the flock is entirely alone with the shepherd. They are in intimate contact with him and under his most personal attention day and night. That is why these last verses are couched in such intimate first person language. Have you noticed that, that in verse four, the author David switches the tense and, and he now refers to himself as I, and he refers to God as, as you. And there's this, this intentional, intimate language that I think hopefully helps us understand there. And again, David being a shepherd would have known before he was King David, he was overlooked youngest brother, shepherd boy. And so he knew the dangers, the realities of, 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 of taking care of a flock of sheep and what went into that and the weather and the terrain and the animals that could attack and that he even fought off multiple times. He understood this language intimately and that's what's behind our reading here. In verse four, right there toward the end, he says, I will fear no evil. Why? because you are with me. His context often does not change. If you know anything about David's life, he saw some high highs, some really low lows. And yet in this moment, in this kind of journal-like entry, as he reflects on God's presence in his life, he's recognizing, I don't fear evil because you are with me. 
Has there ever been a time, perhaps think back when you're like a kid maybe, and something that made you afraid? For me, what comes to mind is I grew up for the first part of my childhood in San Diego. And we loved the ocean. We were an ocean family. We would go there as often as we could, and we would swim. And I loved it. And I would find myself out. I even tried to surf for different things like that. So you find yourself out beyond the waves and where you're having to kind of keep your eyes open, right, and not get knocked over. And there can be times of incredible just rest. And you're looking up at the sky, and you're just considering, you're aware of, the, of the, how big and vast the ocean is that you're in, and it can be a really peaceful time. Again, if you've ever surfed, sometimes surfers like between sets will even like doze off on their surfboard. And yet I, though that occasionally happened, would usually jerk out of that. Or if I was out there as a, as a kid, just kind of swimming, treading water, I would all of a, a sudden become frantic because I would become really aware of the potential for sharks. And um, sometimes it's a joke, you know, things like that. But I would be like wrecked. I would, honestly, I would be in a swimming pool and could convince myself there might be a shark somewhere in the pool. Not the sharpest knife in the drawer sometimes, right? But I would just get, I could work myself up. But in the ocean, in that moment, what would change my perspective so often was my dad being out there with me. And my dad was in the Coast Guard. He, he swam a lot. He would go out and just swim like l- laps in the ocean, would just swim kind of back and forth. And, 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 and he learned over time my fear and just his presence. Sometimes he would specifically address it and kind of tell me what a low probability it was that I would get you know, bitten by a shark and all that. And that didn't usually help, but his presence did. Just knowing that my father was near me was so helpful. Now, of course, as I'm older, I look back, my dad, my dad could not have fought off a shark. Um, there's no re- reason to believe that the shark would have gone after him and not me, right? Something like that. But, but, but as a kid, as a vulnerable child, my dad's presence was incredibly helpful. And that's the idea here that David has. He recognizes wherever I am, good, and now as he transitions in the valley, in this dangerous place, I don't fear because you are with me. And then he talks about why that is. He talks about these two objects that you and I might not understand on our own. He says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So again, this this author, Philip Keller talks about the rod and the staff, and it's incredible. He, he paints the picture, and he even describes a rod as being like an extension of the shepherd's hand, and that it could be thrown with incredible accuracy to, like, if a snake came up or if something like that happened, um, but it could also be used to whiz right over the head of the sheep to scare them back into intimacy with the other sheep and to, and to remind them of the need to be together, to be in community. And, and there would be this beautiful picture then of, of the rod and the staff. And, 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 and the fact is that the, the, the shepherd was all of these three things. The shepherd was the corrector, was the protector, and was the comforter. Okay, this idea that the, that the shepherd would correct the wayward sheep and would use both the rod and the staff to do that. And then the same shepherd with the same tools would also protect those very same sheep. And then the same shepherd with those same tools would comfort 
the sheep that were afraid in a storm or something like that. And this imagery is, is again, is, is, is like pregnant here. As David writes through this, there is this, 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 this intentional language of referring to God as a shepherd. And that's not new church in scripture. All right. I'm going to read through a couple of different passages in our time that we have left as we walk through this one verse in Psalm 23. Right now, let me turn to, to Exodus chapter 34. And in this, we get one of many snapshots into the language used of God as the shepherd. Okay, Exodus, the whole of Exodus chapter 34, but specifically beginning in verse 15. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, says God. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. This language of God being the shepherd who both pursues and comforts and who protects, right? And who corrects and ultimately disciplines, who exercises justice, who exercises comfort, is the same shepherd using the same tools. And again, throughout the entire Bible, God has chosen to paint this picture of himself as a shepherd, as a good shepherd. And most clearly, most pointedly, we see God, the good shepherd, revealed a thousand years after this psalm was written, the, the great-great-grandson of King David is Jesus. And in John chapter 10, he reveals who he is. He, he draws together the entire narrative, the whole thread of scripture from beginning to end, where God refers to himself in many different pictures and images in this most common one of shepherd and of host at a banquet, Jesus reveals and refers to himself in these ways. In John chapter 10, we see Jesus who refers to himself again as the good shepherd. Let's um, read in verse 10 with me where Jesus talks about himself, how he's set apart from any other. The thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. Now, when he refers to a thief, there's this, there's this, he's drawing a distinction between himself as a good shepherd and between false shepherds or hired shepherds and then thieves who come in to, to disrupt the work of the good shepherd, right? So he says, thieves only come in to seek, to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. 
As I talked about, as we see in this imagery here, as we dive into this understanding of sheep, Jesus is always the good shepherd. He knows what we need. He knows when we need to be corrected. He knows when we need to be protected. He knows when we need to be comforted. He's the same shepherd, the same tools that are his, his life, death, and resurrection, the same tool, if you will, the Holy Spirit whom he sent to both convict and to, co- and to comfort and to protect and to empower. The Jesus is the good shepherd. And church, hear me, he leads us, right, beside still waters. He makes us to lie down, sometimes against our will, to lie down in green pastures. He restores our soul. He gives us refreshing water. And the same good shepherd leads us sometimes into the valley of the shadow of death. And but he is always good. Um, as I prepared for this, as I thought about it, um, I was reminded of, of some friends of mine that I met almost 20 years ago. No, it is actually 20 years ago. Wow, just this just hit me. I think right now, like 20 years ago in June. I got to spend a summer in the Middle East, and this couple had been there for probably about 20 years by the time I had met them, and I went and I spent time with them, and then a couple years after I met them, they tragically lost their daughter. In fact, let me correct that. Their daughter was tragically, brutally murdered. And it was in part because of where they lived and the part of the world that they were in their own daughter, one of many kids, um, was, was killed. And the dad and the mom both, of course, walked through incredible tragedy and sorrow and grief. They, 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 they wrestled with their own wisdom, with their own discernment. Were they, were they, were they reckless? Were they, were they neglectful of their kids to have them live in such a place? Now, their kids, by the way, were born and raised there. They considered that their home country. But still, the, the parents were from here. Almost certainly, had they stayed in this country, this wouldn't have happened. As they wrestled through these things um, over the years, they wrote some different things. And, and, and this is what the dad said as he processed these things about bringing his kids in harm's way. He says this, my trust is in the Lord. He can protect or he can choose, like with our daughter, to let evil strike. But in any case, he is good and he is going to take care of them. Doing God's will is the best thing to do. It doesn't mean it isn't painful. It's just best. And then the mom actually wrote an article, Where is God in the Midst of Tragedy? And it's really good and it's really shaping. And here are a a few kind of excerpts from that that I got. The mom says this, These events that cause unfathomable destruction, waste, and devastation provoke us to turn to God in desperation and ask him hard questions. Through pain and sorrow, he is there inviting us to know him. Church, right now, I want to ask you to look at me. Where are you experiencing the valley of the shadow of death? Where are you experiencing, at least in your life, perhaps for the first time, unfathomable brokenness, tragedy, 
pain, confusion, isolation, right? This COVID season, as I talked about earlier, has, has probably surfaced all kinds of things, whether it's loneliness, abandonment, fear, health concerns, goals and dreams that may not be realized, relational disjointedness, all sorts of things that can come creeping in that have risen to the surface. That again, for some of us is yet another painful, devastating, tragic journey into the valley of the shadow of death. And then for some, it's perhaps the first. And, and we're now like rocked with this idea of, man, I thought life looked this way and I could kind of count on certain things. And now I'm, 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 I'm jarred out of it, right? We've talked a lot and we will continue to press in and recognize for those of you in our church who are people of color, again, perhaps for the umpteenth time or for perhaps for the first time or just the reality of, of, of fragility, of fear, of, of death, of life, of pain, of, again, relational disjointedness, of, of, of the world not being the way it should be. There's a journey, even if it's secondary, into the valley of the shadow of death. And church, I want to, again, just acknowledge, especially as we're more of a kind of majority culture of a church, myself included now, there's just been a, a, a re-entry into difficulty, in some cases, death of relationship, death of approval for me, death of affirmation that I so long for, death of, of, um, of, of just being able to count on what's happening and where we're going. And, oh yeah, I know what's going to happen. Just keep doing it. Keep on preaching the gospel and things are going to keep going this way. And then this, the reality of, man, I, I don't know, right? I, I am not in the driver's seat here. There's just this recognition there as I mentioned, other kinds of pain and difficulty, what is it for you right now? I have a few good friends who have lost dear loved ones during this COVID season, haven't even been able to attend a funeral, haven't even been able to have a, a same goodbye. My own family has experienced a couple of diagnoses and, and even surgeries that are really scary in the last couple of months. What do we do with this? Well, God is leading us and he hasn't left us. Hear me, church, right? Look at me again. He, he doesn't author evil, but he never wastes it. He is the good shepherd. He is our good, good father. It's who he is. We are his children. We are loved by him. He knows what is best, even when it's most painful. Let's look again at the last part of what this woman, this mother wrote. His conquering power is seen as he takes the fragments of the life that was and creates a new life, life with more understanding of who he is, who we are, and what a relationship with him is supposed to be like. Again, church, she wrote this after her teenage daughter had been killed. But this is what she says. This is her charge just in general, and I believe to us right now this morning. Fight struggle and find the true God. Right in the midst of tragedy, I've found it to be true that the safest place to be is right in the center of God's will. Again, we shouldn't try to conjure up difficulty in our lives, right? We shouldn't try to do that. We're not, 
masochist. We shouldn't try to um, try to dive into things or even try to fabricate difficulty in our own lives or things like that. But inevitably in this broken world, when the shepherd who is guiding us, who is forming us, who is shaping us, correcting us, protecting us, comforting us more and more into the image of Jesus, we're going to walk into pain. So what do we do with those things? As she says, we fight. We fight for intimacy. We cling to our good shepherd. Okay, one last passage with me here in, um, in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 13, which I would commend you to just read through a lot in this season. As I've been pouring over it, I'll just read a couple of verses here. Verse 5 says this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can, what can man do to me? And that might seem sort of strange, right? That the author here who's quoting Psalm um, 118 would be, would be bringing up money. But I think there's an intentional reality here that is this. We all have shepherds. We all have something that we look to for comfort, for protection, maybe even for correction, right? We keep up with different fa- fashion magazines. If our, if, our, if our shepherd, if you will, if what shapes our life is, is, is looking good, is kind of being it, is being in it, is knowing, you know, being on the front lines of fashion, things like that, right? Then you learn, right, as soon as you can what's no longer cool, what's no, right? What, hopefully you can, whatever it might be, that's not mine, so it's easy to pick on, right, obviously. But whatever it is, we all have our things. It might be physical health or fitness. It might be relationships. It might be particular ideologies. It might be other people that we follow. It might be, again, um, as I shared in my own life, it might be approval. It, It might be financial security. It might be familial security. Whatever it might be, we all have shepherds that we are being shaped by. Something or someone that ultimately shapes our lives. But church, hear me. The reality is, the fact is, that because of sin, we will, right, like sheep, go astray. We will look for other shepherds. We will be wooed away to other shepherds, sometimes in times of of prosperity, sometimes in times of suffering and fear and, and death. But we are prone to wandering. Jesus warns that the path that leads to life is narrow and difficult, and those who find it are few, Right? But the path that leads to destruction is wide and easy, and those who find it are many. And I believe there are many false shepherds, many thieves on that wide path that will want to lure us and woo us. But again, hear me, inevitably, though David says, I shall not want, though David says, I shall not fear. Why? Because the Lord and the Lord alone is his shepherd. Any other shepherd, any other thing, ideology, person we give ourselves to and we trust to protect us, to correct us, to comfort us will ultimately leave us longing for more and will ultimately leave us terrified. But in contrast, Jesus is the good shepherd. And though we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil because he is with us. He is the one who will correct us, who will at times protect us, 
who will ultimately comfort us. So let's now respond to him, our good shepherd. Heavenly Father, we need you so desperately. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are good, that you are who and what we need. Lord, I pray that you will bring comfort. Lord, you will be, bring healing. You will bring correction. You will bring protection. Lord Jesus, for all of us, by your Holy Spirit whom you have sent, I pray that you will lead us now in a time of response in whatever way that we individually and collectively as a church need to be led because you alone are the good shepherd. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.